in your garden, you're raising your livestock, you're feeding your family at night, you sit around the campfires with your neighbors, with your parents and your grandparents, and you tell stories, and you remember sitting around that campfire hearing stories from previous generations that were closer to Adam and Eve and the creation because you at this point are about ten generations removed from the first people that God ever created. And so you sit around those, those campfires and you hear these stories about a time when man used to worship God and God walked with man. And you hear the stories about a time when people respected God and loved God and worshipped and served God. But things have begun to change over the last several hundred years and everyone around you, including yourself, you've noticed this change. You see, ever since that first sin was committed by Adam and Eve and then Cain rose up against his, his brother Abel to kill him, there has been a downward spi- spiral, it seems, of mankind. And so in this scenario in which you live, you have to watch your back and protect your family because not everybody wants good things. In fact, mankind, for the most part, has become very human-centric, and it's all about self. But you and most everybody else are pretty much okay with that. Because, see, there's an advantage to living in a society that no longer worships and serves God. The advantage is you get to do what you want to do and be who you want to be. And anything is on the table. And if you have enough power, enough wealth, enough might, then you can take anything that you want. And this is the world that you live in. And just about everybody's okay with that. As long as you protect your family and watch your back, you can have it made. But there's one old guy that lives down the road. You're actually his neighbor. And this is the one old guy that doesn't really jive with the rest of society today. You see, he has this strange message. He said that God came to him and told him that he was disappointed in humanity for how far they had fallen and the sinful thoughts that were in their minds continually. And he says that God told him that he's just going to start over. And he's going to flood the earth with water and destroy everything and restart mankind, essentially. And you've gone to hear this man because he's a preacher and he goes around teaching this message. And so you and some of your neighbors and family members, you've gone multiple times to go hear him and you've listened. And as he talks about this, you realize that you've never even seen raindrops from the sky before. And this guy's talking about a deluge of water that's going to fill the earth. And so you and everyone else, you pick up clumps of mud and rocks and you sling it at this man and you make fun of him. And you call him an old religious nut, a kook, that's just not getting on board with the society as it is today. It's not about God, it's about man. And so you make fun of him and just call him a foolish old preacher. And you go back home from these trips and you work in your fields and you spend time with your family and you keep drinking and eating and attending feasts and parties and you're living it up and just enjoying life. Until one day, something happens. You see animals begin to cross your fields, animals that you've never seen before, large beasts and small animals of all kinds. And you stop your work and you stare as you see these animals just begin to cross towards this area where your neighbor lives. And your neighbor has this valley area where he has been building this giant construction project. And every time you've gone to hear him, it's gotten a little bit more complete along the way. And so you're stunned to see these animals heading that way. And so you begin to wander over, not getting too close to the animals, wander over to where you can see where this man 
and his construction project is. And you notice that all of these animals begin to surround this man, and it is almost as if he is guiding them, directing them, and they are listening to him. And you're amazed. And you see some of your neighbors, and they're watching this too, and they're amazed by it. But you begin to just shake your head and go, this man's crazy. He's going to get himself killed. Do you see the size of some of those animals? This is ridiculous. He's going to get trampled and stomped on. But something else that you notice while you're looking at those animals is you see his construction project is done. And it's a big, giant boat that he has built. And he's told you about this boat and you and the crowds many times as you listen to him preach. He said he's building this boat to survive that big giant flood that God's going to send onto the earth. And it looks about done. But you shake your head and you go back home and you begin working in your fields again. And that night you sit around the campfire and you eat and you drink and you live your life and party and have fun. And you go to sleep that night and you wake up the next morning and you go back out into your fields to work. And then something else happens you begin to feel drops of water hit your body. And this is nothing like you've ever felt before. You see, you've wandered under a waterfall. You've had water poured on your head before, but you've never felt water fall from the sky like it is. And at first, it's just an amazing feeling. And so you stop and you look over at your wife, and she also has stopped working, and she's looking up, and you have your hands extended out, and you're watching these drops of water just hit your hands. And it's a great, amazing feeling of awe there for a moment until that rain begins to come down. And now it's in sheets. And it's coming down hard. And it begins to sting your skin. And you feel or you see the lightning strike and you hear the thunder. And so you begin to get worried and your instinct is to go find shelter. And so you yell towards your wife that we've got to get to the house. But then boom, to your right, you hear a magnificent sound and the earth begins to quake beneath your feet as you see a geyser of water shoot out of the ground 100 feet into the air. And then boom, to your left, another one. Water just begins to shoot from the crust of the earth. And now in front of you and behind you, you see these geysers begin to shoot up out of the ground. And it's nothing like you have ever seen or experienced before. And you are panicked and you are fearful. And you run towards your wife and grab her hand and say, where are the kids? And you go grab the kids and you begin running towards your house. And then boom, right in front of you, another geyser and water is shooting out of your ground, out of the ground and it hits you. And you realize that this is that moment that that old religious kook down the road has been talking about. He said water was going to come down from the sky and it was going to come up from the ground and it was going to flood everything. And you realized in that moment that if he was right, there is only one place that you need to be. And that's not in the house. That's in the big giant boat down the road that he's built. And so you grab your wife's hand and you're carrying your kids and you are running as fast as you can through the wind and the rain. The visibility is bad. You can hardly see. The water is beginning to pool at your feet. So you're sloshing through mud as you're trying to get there. By the time you get near that valley where that boat is, you're in waist deep water. You're half walking, half swimming, trying to get there. But you know if you can get to that boat, you can have safety. And you saw when those animals were boarding that ark, a big giant ramp that this man had built up to the door of that ark. So you know where the door is. And you say, if I can just get there, I can get my family inside and we can be safe. And so as you're going towards that boat, now you're swimming with your kid on your back and your wife has your other child and you're swimming towards that ramp and you get there. And you begin to climb up that ramp towards where that door is. And you begin to feel for the door, but it's not open. And you feel for where you know it is, but you don't feel any, any creases or anything on where that door is supposed to be. It's as if it's totally been sealed. And so you begin pounding where you know that door is supposed to be and you're saying, please, let us in, let us in. And you look behind you and you see some of your neighbors that have realized the same thing you realized and they're nearing that place where that ramp is as well. And you knock again, let us in, let us in, we're here, we need inside. But nothing happens. 
There's no answer. And now your neighbors have joined you on top of that ramp and there's 10 or 12 of you and you're all banging and pounding on that door and you're saying, please, let us in, let us in. But nothing happens. And under the weight of those 10 or 12 people with the floodwaters rushing underneath, that ramp begins to give way. And then it crashes into the floodwaters and it throws you and everyone else back into the waters. And the water is way too deep for you to stand now. And so you're struggling to get your breath and to find your children. But you manage to do it and you're swimming and you see some high ground, some rocks over there that are still sticking up out of the ground. And so you swim that way and you yell towards your wife to swim. You're going to make it there. You see some of your neighbors get swept away and they're gone and they don't make it to that high ground. But you're determined to get there. And so you take your kids or your wife and you manage to get there and you climb up onto those rocks and you begin waving at the boat towards the man, the neighbor that you know is in there and you're saying, we're here, we're here, let us in. But there's no answer and nothing happens. And then you begin to hear a creak and a groan as that big giant wooden vessel that he has built begins to move underneath or on top of those floodwaters. And it begins to drift forward and then begins to float away from you as you are there on that rock with your family watching as it floats away. And the rain is still coming down and it's stinging your skin and the floodwaters are coming up. Another neighbor of yours that was on a rock nearby just fell into the waters and you've lost them and you don't see them anywhere. And it's you, it's your wife, and it's your two kids. And she's screaming and your kids are crying. And there's nothing you can do except look at them and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I should have listened. He told us, he warned us, he said it was coming, and I didn't listen, I'm sorry. And then the child that your wife was holding loses grip and falls into the floodwaters and is gone. And your wife lets out a scream like you've never heard before. And she gives up and she lets go. And the waters take her too. And you sob and you scream. And you say, God, I'm sorry. And the floodwaters get too high and too powerful and you can't hold on any longer, and you and your remaining, remaining child lose grip, and you fall into the darkness of those waters, and you're gone. Now this story tonight, the problem that these folks encountered was that when they got to that boat, the door was shut, and it was too late. This is a true story, maybe not in all the details that I've presented tonight, but in its essence, it's true. There's a story in Genesis chapter 6 through 9 about a man named Noah that God came to and said, I'm sending a flood. And we know Noah was a preacher of righteousness, and he was trying to convince anyone that would listen to get on board. But only he, his wife, his three sons, and his three daughter-in-laws survived that day because they were on board the boat when the door was shut. And anyone else that may or may not have tried would have been too late. But not only is this a true story, it's a cautionary tale for you and I. We've talked all about Jesus this week. We've talked about the fact that he is eternal, that he is our master and teacher. He's God made flesh. He's our savior. He's the king of the eternal kingdom. What I want to leave you with this afternoon is this idea that Jesus is the door to our safety. Just as that ark and that door of the ark was the door to the safety for the people in that day. And they failed to get there in time and they were lost. You know, we too have been warned of a destruction that is coming. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. We talked this morning about the fact that Jesus is coming back 
part of the consequence of Jesus coming back is that everything is, that is here, that is physical, that is temporal, is going to be burned up. Now, at the end of that Noah story, God promised with that rainbow in the clouds that he would never again destroy the earth by water. But we have been told and promised and warned that there is another destruction that is coming to this earth, and it is a destruction of fire. That everything that is here will be burned up. And by that same word that God promised that a flood would came or would come, he has promised that the fire would come. Peter talks about this in 2 Peter 3, verse 5. He says, For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of the water and through the water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Unfortunately, there are too many people in our world today that want to live like the people did in the days of Noah. They want to eat and drink and party and live it up and live their lives based on these temporal, physical things here. And what I want you and I to know and understand and fully live out every day of our life is the fact that all of this is going to be gone one day. All of this is going to be burnt up in flames. It's not eternal. It's not what's going to make us last. It's not what's going to bring true peace and satisfaction and happiness in our life. Those things are only found through Christ Jesus. Those things are only found in eternity. And so we ought not to base our life and our decisions and our actions on things that are going to be burned up with fire one day because we're basing our life on the wrong things. I want you to know, like the people in Noah's day, we're separated from God. We're sinning and thinking about evil things continually. So you and I, we've talked about this week, are sinful people that have been separated from God through our own actions. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. Our own decisions, our own sins have made us separate from God just as those people in that day were separate from God. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 4, Paul describes a world that I think we can look at the days of Noah and we see that world. I think we can look at the days of Rome and we see that world. And in some ways, I think we can look at our world today and we can see these things. He says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, uh, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. And folks, you and I know in America today in 2022, we have a great blessing in the fact that we still have the freedom to meet like this on a Sunday and worship together. And I'm very thankful for the freedoms that we have in this country. But I also know that the path that we have been on as a country for a long time has not been a good one. And we have been slowly and surely getting farther and farther away from the will of God. Slowly and surely we see these things that are more commonplace in our society, that are more approved in our society. Unfortunately, we live in a time where right is portrayed as wrong and wrong is portrayed as right. Up, up is down, down is up. Things are just different and opposite of what God has said for some reason. And I don't know what the future holds. I pray that things will turn around and get closer to the will of God, and I hope that that can be the case. But if not, then it's likely we're heading on a path that Rome went down, that nearly every civilization in history has gone down, heading toward a path of removing God from everything and being totally human-centric. And as we think about the world that we live in and our own personal sins and the separation from God, I want us to know that that sin that we have committed and our actions before God have consequences. Not just here, but in eternity.
2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the, things done, the thing done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. See, here's the thing about what God has designed. He has stated that he wants people, human beings like you and me, to make free will choices to serve him. It's a lot easier for us to fall in line with the rest of society. It'd be a lot easier for us to just believe that God is dead and He's no longer needed and let's just live it up, let's party, let's live with the YOLO mentality, you only live once, so let's live it up, let's do it right. It'd be easy to fall into that. But what God is asking us to do is recognize that our sins against Him have consequences. And those are eternal. That one day we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will be judged based upon the decisions that we make here. Just as those people who were potentially heading towards that ark of Noah trying to get on board, they waited too long. And I want to beg and plead with you today not to wait too long, but to recognize that now, today is the time when you have a decision to make of whether or not to obey God. We read out of Revelation 21 this morning and talked about the wonders of heaven. But I want to tell you about the flip side of that coin this afternoon. Verses 7 and 8 says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful, and the unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It's not popular today to talk about hell. It's not easy today to talk about the realities of hell. But I would be doing you a disservice to not implore and make you realize that hell is just as real as heaven. People want to believe in heaven. They want to believe that after this life there's some wonderful, glorious place for, there to, for them to exist. And there is. Heaven is real. But the alternative is too. And our choices here on whether or not we are in Christ and serving God will determine our eternal destination. I want you to know that you serve and live under a merciful and gracious God. He has looked down upon humanity more than once and seen their evil and seen their sin and provided a way out. Just as he did with Noah, he has done for all of humanity through Jesus Christ. Titus 2 verse 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And once again, I don't want us to pass over that all men. Every single person in this building, every single person in Denton, Texas, every single person in the United States of America, and every single person across the globe has the same salvation offered to them and the same opportunity to get on board the ark of safety today. John 3, verse 16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, our ark of safety today is not a big boat that we climb into to avoid the floodwaters. It's not some fireproof uh, building that we've got to go in. The ark of safety for you and I today is the church of Jesus Christ. And we enter that church through Jesus. In John 10, verse 9, he says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. See, there's coming a day when everything that's here will be burned up. And what's eternal is the church of Jesus Christ. What's eternal is that group of people that have been saved by the blood of Christ. And if we want to be saved, if we want to get in that boat before the door is shut, we've got to come to Jesus because He says, I am the way in. 
John 14 and verse 6 says, Jesus saith unto me, I, unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's a lot, a lot of religious philosophies out there. A lot of different religions. A lot of different people that have, that have uh, said that they were prophets or sent by God. There's a lot of different books that say that they're inspired by God. But I want you to know the truth of the matter is, Jesus is the only way that we can get to God the Father. Jesus is the only way that we can get onto that ark of safety and live for eternity with him. And Jesus told us exactly how we do that. And we've talked about this this week. But I want to remind you that Jesus said we need to believe in him as the Son of God. In John 8, verse 24, he said, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Jesus said for you, if you're outside of me, if you don't believe in me, you're going to face the destruction that's coming and you're not going to be safe. But the flip side of that is if we'll choose to believe in him, we have the opportunity for salvation. Jesus said we need to be willing to confess that belief. He said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. He said it's not enough that you believe, but you've got to tell other people about that belief. And Jesus said that we need to be willing to repent of our sins to change our life. In Luke 13, 3, I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And then Jesus instructed us to be baptized. And I want to take just a moment, and I want to talk about some things related to baptism for just a few moments this afternoon. Mark 16, 15, and 16, Jesus said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Why baptism? Why is baptism the way that we're saved? Why? Why not just a prayer? Why not just a belief? Why not hopping on my right foot 12 times and whistling Amazing Grace? I'd be out of luck because I can't whistle. That'd be unfortunate. But why? Why baptism? The reality is that God and Christ Jesus as Savior and King gets to decide how we are saved. You know, the amazing thing is that you may not have thought of this afternoon. I don't get to save you. I can't tell you whether you're going to heaven or not. I can't forgive you of your sins. And you know what? No one else in this building can either. You know what? No one else on this world can either. And so when we ask these questions, why baptism? Why is the plan of salvation what it is? What we really need to ask is why are we doubting what Jesus himself has said? Why are we refuting what the one who actually can forgive us has stated is the way that we are forgiven? Because I can, I can give you a lot of great ideas of what I think salvation might be a great plan of salvation might be. You may be able to come up with great ideas about what a plan of salvation would be. But at the end of the story, if you're following what I'm saying, you're lost. If I'm following what you're saying, I'm lost. Unless we're saying what Jesus said. And Jesus said to be baptized and have your sins washed away. So why? Romans chapter 6, 3 and 4 says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now this week we've talked about Jesus' death, his burial in that tomb, and his resurrection this morning. Did you know that baptism is a reflection of that? Baptism, when we go down into that water, there's nothing special about the water. It's just water. We can use water anywhere. As long as we've got enough water to be immersed in it, we can use water from anywhere. It's not the water that saves us. What saves us is our willingness to submit to Christ 
And when we do that, we go down into that water just as Jesus was hung on that cross and his life was ended. He was put to death. So when we go down into that water, we go down as a dead person, so to speak. Our sins are then cleansed by the blood of Christ and that dead person, that old person that was full of sin and iniquity and death, it's washed away. And just as Jesus came out of that tomb with new life, we come up out of the waters of baptism a new creature with new spiritual life and a new existence. We have been placed at that point in the kingdom, in the church, as we talked about this morning. We have been placed at that point in the ark of safety. And whenever that destruction comes, or whenever Jesus returns, after baptism, we are placed in the correct spot where we don't have to climb the ramp and bang on the door and hope someone will let us in after the time. But we'll already be where we need to be, ready for the Savior's return. You know, Peter compares baptism to this story that took place in Genesis 6 through 9. In 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21, he said, "...which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ." You know, the reality is in those days of Noah, that water came and it swept over the earth and it washed away the sin and the uncleanness and the rebellion of mankind and it got rid of all of that. And what it left after those waters receded was fresh and new. It was a rebirth and a restart. And Peter says, just like the waters did that in the days of Noah, the waters of baptism do that for us, not for the flesh. It's not taking a bath. It's not washing filth of the flesh off. It's washing filth of the soul off. And we are cleansed and made new. What I want to encourage you to, think, to do with, with this idea of baptism this afternoon is to remember and to teach others that it does not matter what I think. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. What matters is what the Savior, the Christ, the King who saves us thinks. And so if he had instituted some, something else, if in the scriptures he had said, pray this prayer, you know what I would be teaching today? Pray this prayer. If he had taught, hop on your right leg 12 times and whistle amazing grace, that's what I'd be teaching today. But he didn't. He taught baptism for the remission of sins. And so I want to encourage you in your own life and as you're studying and teaching and sharing with others to encourage them to prioritize what God said and what Jesus said over anything else that man teaches today. When we follow that plan, we are placed in that ark of safety, and we have the salvation that Jesus promised. So I want to encourage you as we close this afternoon to heed God's warning. Pay attention to the warning that you've been given, because those people in Noah's day, they didn't. They ignored it. They didn't listen to Noah. They didn't get on the boat and they died because of it. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 and 3, the scripture says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. You know, we talked this morning about the wonder and awe and anticipation that we as Christians can have at the coming of Christ. But if you are outside of Christ, if you are not in that ark of safety today, His kingdom, His church then what you have to look forward to should fill you with fear and dread. Because there's coming a day 
when you are, will be saying peace and safety and living it up and eating and drinking and partying and YOLO mentality and all those things, and then all of a sudden, you're going to be destroyed for eternity. Jesus talked about these days in Matthew 24, 37. He said, but, he said, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered in the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So this afternoon, you have another opportunity this week. One last final opportunity this week as a part of this meeting and these sermons to consider your life, to consider your relationship with God, and to ensure that you have obeyed that plan of salvation, not that any person teaches, but that God teaches, and that your relationship is right with Him. Because if that day of the Lord comes today or tomorrow, I want to already be on the boat. And I want you to already be on the boat. And I don't want it to be too late and us beg to enter in. Because right now, today, this afternoon, that door is standing wide open. Jesus has his arms outstretched. He's inviting you to come. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to save you. He wants to place you within his ark of safety, the church. But there's coming a day when that door, it's going to shut. And it will be too late. Don't make the mistake of waiting until the door is shut. If you, can, if you need to get your life right with God tonight, either through being baptized into Christ or having us pray for you and pray with you and encourage you to turn your life towards God, we want to do that. If you'll come, sit on a front row as we stand and sing.